morning, everybody, on this uh, wonderful Sunday. It's nice to be back. Uh, I was home with the plague for a week. Uh, I haven't had the flu in decades, and man, it showed up at my doorstep and went from one person to the next. I slept Saturday. I went to bed at about 6 o'clock and woke up around 3 o'clock the next day on Sunday, and um, thank goodness Pastor Dylan did a wonderful job speaking. It was great service, heard, heard nothing but great reports, and um, uh, my whole family is kind of shared, we share everything, and so we shared the flu, passed it around, and uh, Ethan is the last one in recovery, um, but right now, in fact, uh, I'm, fortunately, we're not contagious anymore, but we're still just kind of on the, on the up of this, so uh, if I seem a little bit off, you'll, you'll understand why. Um, we've been doing a series called The Spoken Word, talking about the prophets, the, and Pastor Dylan showed you last week that this is by far not only the least read, but the least understood portion of scripture, and uh, man, it just shapes our lives if we give ear and heed to what God has to say. And so today, um, uh, we're going to be speaking on Jonah, but at the end, it's also a great Sunday service because we have two other things going on. Number one, we have some people that we are welcoming into membership at our church. And so we were in staff and we're like, we need to like party over this. Uh, you know, instead of like, you know, thank you, here's a certificate. I'm like, we are going to party. And then all of a sudden the staff was like, we need to do a balloon drop. And we're like, all right, let's do a balloon drop. And I was like, isn't that excessive? First of all, you may have a latex allergy and you might die, but it's okay. We're going to really have a great time here this morning. And uh, uh, we've got like, we're just going to welcome them in and count it down, three, two, one, boom, and we're just going to go nuts, but you're going to just feel like a kid again today, and isn't it awesome? It's just like, it's going to be great, but we're going to do that at the very end of service, but before we uh, hit that, at the end too, also, all along the back, there are tons of ministries in this church, and one of the things that I appreciate so much about our board um, in being in support of is, is that we're the kind of church and in order to be considered you know a viable part of our community it's not just that you attend church and it's not just that you give in church but it's also that you serve in church I believe with all my heart every single one of you has a purpose and a gift and and you would be surprised you know what some people might be completely unmoved by the words that I say but somebody like you putting your arm around them or helping them or hugging their children in nursery or caring for their kids in youth or sharing a musical gift that you have, it, it's, it amazes me how, not only how smart our community is, but also how gifted it is. And so the Lord wants to use you. And so I encourage you this morning, there are tons of places to plug in. If I could give a word this morning along those lines, ushers really need support from you. And if you're sitting there watching them work and you're like, man, I wish I could do something, that is a great place to serve. I'd also tell you that we have nobody on grounds and facility in this church and endless work that often takes the pastors away from ministry to where we're painting and we're fixing walls and we're doing that stuff. And you might have a gift or an ability and say, you know what, pastor, next time you have a need, please just call me and let me know. We'd love to have you do that. You might be saying, I, you know what, I like Sunday morning, but I don't have any... Uh, Christian influence in my life. I'd really love to feel like I'm a part of a community or feel more connected to the church. We have small groups that are beginning to pop up all over the Merrimack Valley uh, area, and there are tons of those groups. You might say, I'm struggling with an addiction. We have Tuesday night support group called Celebrate Recovery. You might say, I've just lost somebody, and I'm still deeply grieving, and I feel lost. We have Grief Share that meets on a regular basis. There are so many different places for you to connect. And I encourage you today, as you sweep through those tables, just dare to step out of the boat and write your name down and just say, you know what? I might not feel like I'm good at it or I might be God's answer, but I'm just going to offer myself. And you'd be surprised. I believe that God gets the greatest joy out of using people that thought they were the least likely qualified. He used to say it like this in Bible college. God does not call the qualified. He qualifies the called. And you're called. Offer yourself out there today. Amen? Amen. So proud of uh, all of you that are stepping deeper into membership here. Grateful for all of you and your lives and what that represents and who you are and the quality that you bring to our community. Really am blessed by that. And so with that in mind, I'd like to tell you about a story when I was seven years old. I was on drugs. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I was seven years old. I had a bigger brother. He, my brother has always been 
bigger than me. His arms have always been about the size of my legs. And uh, he's an expert fighter. And unfortunately, he never misses what he's trying to hit. And uh, I just got sick of it. And I just said, I'm out of this house. I can't take it anymore. How many of you ran away from home when you were a little kid? Yeah, right? So I went in, and you might remember this. I'm going to date myself, but I had this thing called Dapper Dan. He was like a, a, a little guy, and, you, you know, he was like a guy rag doll. And, you know, I had that, and I, I got my little, like, uh, you know, my, my little suitcase, and I packed my underoos in there and, and all my different stuff. And, and my dad is like, you know, he's brilliant. You know, he's just reverse psychology on me. And he's like, son, I, I really don't want you to go. You know, I really, I, I really would love for you to stay, but... Can I at least help you pack? <laughs> and so he starts folding up my stuff, and, and I'm putting it in there, and I'm, he's like, is there any way I can talk you out of leaving? No, absolutely not. You know, just can't take my brother anymore. And just, you know, and, and just, you know, you know how the story goes. I, I, I'm rolling my little, uh, uh, you know, they didn't have rollers on luggage back then, you know. They just had an ape that would jump on it, Samsonite, right? But I'm just dragging it up, and I get halfway up, and then all of a sudden, my dad's like, hey, where are you going to stay? I'm like, I don't know. I'll figure it out. Where are you going to sleep? I don't know. How are you going to eat? I got, I got some gum. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, I get halfway up, and I stop. And you know how the lip quivers when you're a little kid? and you're <laughs> My dad's like, sure, there's nothing I could do to talk you into staying, Paul. Okay, <laughs> so I run back and my dad hugs me. It was really great, you know. That was my running away from home story. And uh, I can't say that I ever had a moment when I really turned to Christ that I ever had a radical running away. Um, there's definitely times where I feel like I, I got pretty sufficiently lukewarm. But never where I just said, that's it. And I gave up on the faith and I walked away. Some of you, that's your story. Some of you, that is your story right now. But that is clearly the story of Jonah. And what's amazing, out of all of the prophetic books, Jonah's prophecy actually is only one sentence. The whole book is a story of a swimming lesson in grace by God that shows that even when we run from him, even when we walk away even when we try to hide from him in his love and his mercy he pursues us he chases us and with that in mind i'd like to read to you from the book of jonah chapter one before i do that let me just say this of these prophets that we've been reading we already spoke about joel joel talks about this army that's to come. Jonah is getting even closer to that army. In fact, that's what he's running from, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But he's, Israel's history basically goes like this. Moses shows up, gives them the Ten Commandments. Joshua brings them into the Promised Land. They never really fully get it together through the book of Judges. And then finally, David, uh, Saul shows up as king. He fumbles it, God hands it to David, and the ultimate picture of the kingdom of heaven on earth is King David. He hands it to his son Solomon, who from that moment forward, it all goes downhill. In fact, Solomon's son, Rehoboam, totally ruins the whole thing. And from that moment forward, for generation after generation, for centuries, the nation is cut in two. And the north begins to set up their own kings, and the south sets up their own kings, the south stays devoted to God and close to him and worships in Jerusalem. The north sets up pagan shrines all over the place and says, you don't need them. You don't need to be reconciled. Can I tell you, there's a, there's a story right in that, that you want to get right with God, you need to reconcile with your, with your brother. But they separate themselves and, and it's just one disaster after the other. And it's in that context that we come to the book of Jonah. He's two and a half centuries after David. He's seven and a half centuries before Jesus and this book shows us God's difficulty with the will of man. Shows us the nature, of true, the nature of true repentance. And it's a beautiful story of a swimming lesson in God's grace. And so we're going to start here with chapter 1 and kind of go from there for the next few weeks. So read with me if you would, starting in Jonah chapter 1, verse 1. Now the word of the Lord 
came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and call out against it for the evil, for its evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. And he went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare, went down in, into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship was threatened to break up. And the, marine, the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and laid down, and laid down there and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, what do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God, perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we will not perish. And they said to one another, come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. And they said to him, tell us on whose account is this evil come upon us? What is your occupation? And where do you come from? What is your country? Of what, are your, uh, uh, of what people are you? And he said to them, I'm a Hebrew. I fear the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. And the men were exceedingly afraid. And they said to him, what is this that, they ha that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then he said to them, what shall we do that the sea might quiet down for us? And he, the sea grew even more temptuous. And they said to him, uh, he said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know that it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to get back to the dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew even more and more temptuous against them. Therefore, they called out, to the Lord, O oh Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O oh Lord, have done as it pleases you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging, and then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And here it is, verse 17. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Take a look at this brief video. Nothing can actually prepare you for the event when you end up inside the whale, and then it's pure instinct. Shark Week. For almost 15 years now, we conduct the sardine run and we've always been documenting and filming it. It is a natural event which is the biggest migration in the southern hemisphere in terms of uh, animals gathering along the coast. The day itself was a beautiful sunny day, it was flat seas, the sea conditions were perfect. So that day we launched off the Port Elizabeth Harbour and uh, we travelled about uh, 25 nautical miles from shore. I was trying to get a shot of um, a shark going through the bait ball and it all happened very fast because it was the first day and uh, you kind of need to tune into the whole scenario. The next moment it got dark and I felt some pressure on my hip and once I felt the pressure I instantly knew a whale had grabbed me. I could not imagine in my head how he was actually holding me or grabbing me but I could feel the pressure on my hip. There is no time for fear in a situation like that. You, you have to use your instinct. Instantly I held my breath because my thought was now he's going to dive down and release me at some point in time much deeper in the ocean. Uh, Brutus whale has like easily 15 to 20 tons of weight. So if you get bumped by a whale with a flipper or with a tail, it can hurt you. It can maybe also break your ribs. We were all not aware how the situation will end. And then the next moment I kind of felt that the whale was turning either way and that the pressure was released. And then I was washed out of the mouth and uh, was kind of coming back up onto the surface where surely I wasn't looking too clever. Und natürlich galt dann der erste Moment, wie geht es den Leuten? Ist etwas passiert? Ist jemand verletzt? Und wir waren verdammt froh, 
dass alles so gut ausgegangen ist. I guess for the whale it was also scaring <laughs> because uh, normally they know who's around. They realize that there are persons or dolphins around because they are very sensitive. But as they come up with their mouths open, they can't really see what is just in front of them. And I guess the whale thought it was a dolphin. Once I got to the boat, I just looked at Heinz and I said, did you get it? And uh, he said, yes, he got it. And then I knew this was a very special event and a special moment. It happened extremely fast. And from being on the surface and observing something, I became the inside man and suddenly was inside a whale, kind of looking out. It gives me a connection to the whale, which I don't think anyone else had before. In all the years, never ever a situation occurred like that. And I'm sure it was a surprise for the whale as well. I really want to point out that whales are no man-eaters. This was no attack, it was not the fault of the whale. And they are really sensitive, they are gentle giants. And yeah, it was just an accident. It's a memory that will definitely never ever fade. <laughs> Ich habe noch nie eine ähnliche Situation äh, miterlebt, obwohl ich schon 25 Jahre äh, im und auf dem Meer fotografiere. It was a interesting experience for me, but surely nothing I want to do again. I don't think I had a whale of a time. I now have the inside knowledge of a whale which nobody else has. Guten Morgen, mein Freund, ich liebe dich. That was uh, actually he was speaking Dutch Africans. That was German by the way, but uh, you know, it's funny, for the longest time, people used to say, oh, the book of Jonah, you know, what it, uh, you can't live inside of a whale. We have blue whales that are absolutely ginormous. If you've ever been to the Museum of Natural History, they've got one that would cover twice the size of this room. Very easy when they're going up to open up their mouth to grab somebody. And then, of course, we know that they're mammals, so they're air breathers, and they keep air inside their cavity totally totally completely within the realm of reality of what happened so you can read for the longest time people were like oh the book of jonah you know there's another proof the bible isn't real but yet uh here's an instance of somebody almost getting swallowed up by one of them puppies there and uh they're so cute aren't they mm. Mm. all right jonah offers us such a such a beautiful call back to grace. You know, it's amazing. You, you read the first part of the story and everything is downhill. He goes down to Joppa to get a ticket. He goes down into the bottom of the ship. He goes down into the belly of the whale. It's like down, down, down. And he goes to Joppa. You know what's crazy about this is uh, that's actually a picture of the city Joppa, but the places that we're talking about in this, Nineveh, where God was telling him to go, is about 550 miles away. Tarshish, where he's trying to go, is 2,500 miles in the opposite direction. Has anyone here ever run from the presence of God? You've grown up in church. You've grown up, or, or you had a call, or you had, God was saying, listen, this is what I want. And, and something happens, and you're like, you know what, if this is what you're about, I want nothing to do with you. And you just say, you know what, I'm going to get as far away from God as possible. Because, you know, Jesus isn't in the clubs, right? And Jesus isn't in, you know, cohabitation, and Jesus isn't in, so, you know, Jesus is not in the crack house. And, you know, so maybe I'll, I'll go there. And you know what, I've come to find that when no matter how hard you try to run from God, you run into him wherever you go. You can't get away from him. That's why the Bible calls him omnipresent. He's everywhere. He finds a ship going as far away from God, but he doesn't realize here you, you can't. And what's amazing is, is the Bible says that he pays the fare. I've learned something when it comes to serving God or not serving him. When I go in my direction, I pay the tab. But when God calls me in a direction, he takes care of all things. There's a saying, it's, it's really played out, but it really fits here, where it talks about the price of sin. Sin will cost you more than you want to pay, will hold you longer than you want to stay. I mean, it, it, it's, it's overwhelming. And some of us in this room, we bear in our lives and in our bodies and in our circumstances the byproduct of what it was running from God. And it's there with us, constantly reminding us. 
of the price that we paid because God was saying, come this way. And we said, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go my own way. I've come to find that the greatest things in my life are not in me getting my act together and my plan together, but when I get my life together in the presence of God and follow him and make him central to it. And it, you know what? Uh, my brother-in-law, I was thinking of the story, hon. My brother-in-law, Nathan, there was a, he's, uh, you remember we had him here, and my, my nephew, Abraham, who, who was a miracle of God, and we shared his story, and he testified here, but there was a time where he wasn't serving the Lord. He'd grown up in church. He had dedicated his life to Christ in early age, but he had a season where he was just totally off the rails, and so him and his three friends decide that they're going to go to a bar. And so they show up at the bar. And the bartender, instead of asking them what they wanted to drink, he asks them their names. And he goes, what's your name? And he goes, uh, Nathan. He goes, Nathan? Like the prophet? Yeah. And he goes, what's your name? And the other kid goes, uh, Micah. He goes, Micah? And then I forget the third one, Shiloh. And he goes, what's your name? And he goes, Shiloh. He goes, get out of my bar. He goes, what's wrong with you? Why are you here? Get to church. What are you doing in my bar? And he kicks him out. It's amazing. It's amazing. And the Bible says that, that in the midst of all of that, God is trying to get Jonah to do something. And he's just like, I'm not going to have it. And he's running. But I found that God shows up in the most awkward moments in our life when we're running from him and goes out of his way to highlight. Like, you, you, you ever done that? Like, how many of you uh, were just totally in a moment where, like, you're all of a sudden, like, somebody's like, you're a Christian? Seriously? And it's like, yeah. So I, I heard this story just the other day of, of a girl when she was, uh, she, had, she had given her life to Christ and she totally backslid and all of her friends decided to go down to spring break and they are just partying it up and living crazy, doing none of the things that make sense with a person who would be de dedicated to Jesus Christ. And all of a sudden, somehow it comes up the topic of, of Jesus. And so her friend, you know, is, is like, so what's this thing about you? She hadn't heard anything. And she's like, yeah, you know, like when I was younger, uh, I asked Jesus to come into my life. You know, he died on the cross for my sins and forgave me. And, and like, I, I felt so loved and I felt so forgiven. And I felt like I didn't have to perform. I just, I just needed to be, be his and he loved me. And I had hope in my heart. And, you know, I, I've been running from that and I've been putting it off. But I think I'm going to, I think I'm going to do it again someday, you know, and just rededicate her life. And her friend looks at her and is like, what are you, stupid? Like, why are you doing that? Why are you, why, what do you have to do to make this happen? And she said, well, well, you just pray this prayer. You've been putting off that prayer? She's like, will you pray that prayer with me? And here she is in spring break and her friends asking her in a backslidden state to lead her to Christ. She turns around, she prays for her, leads her to Christ and then turns around and she gives her life back to Christ. God shows up in the most awkward places at the most awkward moments when you try to run from him. And I've learned the Lord knows how to send the most awkward storms. I had a friend who uh, worked on a crabbing boat and he was one of the most bravest guys. He's one of the most bravest guys I know. His name is Jude Tracy. Like, just runs to trouble. And he told me, he said, Paul, if there was ever a moment in my life where I was in fear for my life, it was on that. They would be in the middle of the Atlantic with these crazy storms. And if you've ever watched Deadliest Catch, like, that doesn't even tell half the story to it. And here, these men are experienced sailors. And the Bible says that they were afraid. And they each cried out to his God, and they began to hurl all the cargo over the side. You know what I've come to find when it comes to people who don't know Christ, who really ha haven't ever heard the truth that you and I have been exposed to, is I've come to find that a lot of people, when they get in a difficult storm, they think, you know what, I'm going to just better myself. I'm going to go to the gym, I'm going to eat healthy, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be a good person, and you know what, I'm not going to drink as much, and I'm not going to, you know what, uh, I'm going to stop seeing five different people at the same time, and I'm going to just reduce it to one person, and you know, and it, this kind of, and what, it, what that really is, is the same thing that these sailors were doing, trying to appease a God to get the storm off of their back 
So they decide to lighten the luggage of the cargo. And don't get me wrong, holiness is a good thing. And getting rid of the cargo that is unnecessary in your life, and especially the stuff that isn't, isn't holy or righteous, is a good thing. But you have no hope of swimming in the grace of God and his forgiveness and his love by being a good person. That is not how you experience the forgiveness of Jesus and salvation. You only experience becoming buoyant in, in the ocean of this world of righteousness when you surrender to God and say, Lord, please forgive me. There's nothing that I can ever do to be a good person. There's nothing, you will never be good enough. You'll never do enough good things. You'll never be able to reform yourself enough. It's making yourself helplessly hopeless on Jesus and saying, Lord, thank you for everything you've done for me. Please forgive me. And Jesus removes that. And then he says, you know what? We're going to help you to become a better person, not because that's what makes you right, but because you love me and you want to be right. And he begins to take an end to the cargo with you and says, let's toss that. Let's throw this over. What's amazing is, is the Bible says that Jonah, the lot falls on him and he says, I'm a Hebrew, I fear God. The God who made heaven and earth, right? Like they're figuring like, who's your God? Well, my God's, my God's the God of like uh, uh, extra paychecks, you know? My God's the God of like happiness or my God's the God of, he says, oh, my God's the God of heaven who created the earth and the sea. And they're like, oh man. And you're running from him? And they're stuck and they don't know what to do. So what does Jonah say? He says, hey, listen, I know how you can solve this problem. Just throw me overboard. Isn't that just typical when the pain is too much? Suicide settles in and says, just, just kill yourself. Just end it. That'll end the pain of being separate from God. That'll just bring an end to everything. And Jonah's just like, just, just kill me. Just throw me over. And these guys, like, they're, 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 I mean, they don't know any better. And they're like, you know what, we're not going to do it. And they keep trying to row. You know what, You'll, no matter how good of a person you think you are, you can never row yourself to righteousness. It is impossible. It takes the hand of God. And here the hand of God is, a, is against Jonah to try to redirect his life. And so they pick him up and they throw him into the water. What's amazing to me is this. God's grace is that whale at that moment swallowing him up. How many of you have ever been swallowed up by a situation when you're on the run from God? And he just gulp. And it is as helpless and as hopeless, but yet God was preserving that man's life, trying to redirect him. And in the next few weeks, we'll take a look at that. But here. Here's what, I, here's what I want you to see is that God sometimes, what seems like the end is actually a turning point to the beginning. You might be in a point in your life right now where you just feel so far from God and so on the run and so you, maybe you knew his presence at a certain time in your life. Maybe you, you knew his love or maybe you even knew his voice and maybe you even... Uh, understood the call of God in your life. Maybe God had a call on your life and you'd just been running from it. And you're kind of like, I'll never be that person. I'll never get right or whatever. God has amazing ways of redeeming us back. And that's the beauty of this story of Jonah is God is gonna turn this man's life around in a beautiful way. But I believe that the book of Jonah is one of the most underpreached books in the Bible. Because to really understand what's going on in the book of Jonah, you have to understand what's going on in the book of Kings in the time of Jonah and what's going on in the world of Jonah. And there's a powerful verse that, believe it or not, actually talks about Jonah outside of the book. He's mentioned in there, one of the few prophets, and it's from 2 Kings chapter 14, 23 to 26. And let me read it for you. It says, In the 15th year of Amaziah, the son of Joash, the king of Judah, so that's a king in the south. It says this, Jeroboam, the son of Joash, the king of Israel, began to reign in Samaria, and he reigned 41 years. Now at this time, Israel is cut in half. There's kings in the north and kings in the south. And he says this, and he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and he did not depart from all the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. This is the Jeroboam the first. He's about 12 generations separated from him. Guy was totally wicked. 
Bible says this, which he made Israel to sin. That king led them astray. This king isn't much better. It says he restored the border of Israel from Labo Hamath as far as the Sea of the Aravah, according to the word of the Lord and the God of Israel, which he spoke to his servant Jonah, the son of, uh, of Amittai, the prophet who was from Gath Hefer, that's about two miles away from Nazareth. And he said, for the Lord saw the affliction of Israel was very bitter and there was none left bond or free and there was none to help Israel. So it talks about this guy, this king. Think about this. If you look at, uh, let me just give you a picture of what Israel looked like. That top half is after the time of King David, the kingdom splits in two and it's just one sad story after the other of kings in the north. They go from bad to worse and worse to worser. And in the south, they're kind of holding it together. And so God decides what he's going to do eventually is this, he's going to judge the north and he's going to raise up an army by the name of Assyria. Their capital is Nineveh, the very place where God asked Jonah to go. And this is the crazy part of this story is that this wicked king under his time expands the nation of Israel further than any other king ever did before. How many of you ever look at somebody who is like just so, you, you know who they are. And you're like, why is everything going so good for them? Do you know somebody like that? They're like, I just don't get, for me it's mobsters in Rhode Island. I'm just like, well, how is it like, uh, but listen, we, we need to measure things according to eternity. But for some reason, this king sees the greatest expansion of the nation of Israel in its entire history. And he could care less about God. And Jonah is the one that speaks it. What's amazing is it mentions this first king, the king of Joash, the son of Nebat. His story is found in 1 Kings 12. And he says this, Jeroboam said in his heart, now the kingdom of, will turn back to the house of David. If this people goes to offer up sacrifices in the temple of the Lord at Jerusalem, and the heart of his people will turn again to the Lord, to Rehoboam, the king of Judah, and they will kill me and return to Rehoboam, the king of Judah. So the king took counsel and made two golden calves. And he said this to the people, you have gone up to Jerusalem long enough. Behold, your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And he set one in Bethel and the other in Dan. And this is, thing became a sin for the people as far as Dan to be for one. He also made temple on the high places and he appointed priests from among the people who were not of the Levites. This guy totally realizes that God could reconcile them back. But in order to do it, he sets up wickedness in his nation. I'm not making a prediction what I'm about to say, but I think, some, I think it's been long enough that I need to say something from this pulpit about it. I love our country, but if God does not judge us as a nation, he is going to have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. A nation where we have turned and said that same-sex relationships are acceptable, where God says it's not. In a nation where we have started with the ability of saying um, a woman has a right to choose a life of a child to the point now we're a nation where we're saying that we can deliver a full-term child and get rid of it as a convenience. A nation that when terrorists flew into our country into the Twin Towers and took the lives of thousands of people, everybody flooded to church and they're nowhere to be found since. If God does not judge our nation, he is going to have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah for how he judged it. And here's the beauty of this truth. God always has a remnant of people. God knows how to care for his people and watch over them. And I do not know what that is going to look like for us as a country, but I know this, that it is very easy to have a false sense of patriotism. Now, I'm not talking about being a Democrat, and I'm not talking about a Republican. I'm talking about that there is one king, and there is one kingdom, and his name is Jesus. And he has made very clear in this word what is right and what is wrong, and you can justify and say however you want, how often you want, how much you want, it does not change the fact that it is sin, and it is wrong, and God will judge us for it. And I think the time for the church being on the run 
is long enough. I think the time where we're more worried about what somebody will think about us instead of sharing our faith is ridiculous. I think the idea that we believe that heaven is real and hell is real and yet we will not share that truth with somebody is sinful. I believe that God is calling us as believers in this country to open up our voice. There are people in Nigeria that we were praying for and people in, in, in other parts of the country that if they even say the name of Jesus, they're killed for their faith and yet we're worried about our reputation being murdered and we have the answer for eternity and yet we won't say anything. If that is not running from God, I don't know what is. When we go to church, and the world is going to hell because they don't have the hope of Jesus because nobody's even explained it to them. You know what? There's a young lady that was here in first service that our church has been reaching out to because one of the local police officers said, this girl really needs what you guys have. You guys have such a great message. It, it, you guys have the hope, the answer. And we've been spending time with this young lady, but I'm telling you, she was here a couple of weeks ago in the back of service, and the whole time Pastor Caitlin's explained to her, she's like, who's Jesus? What's communion? What's the blood of Jesus in the state of Massachusetts? Now, I don't blame Jonah because unlike us, this was what he was up against. God was preparing the army of Assyria to invade that country. He got to bring the good news, but the good news only stays good news if we stay with the good Lord. Jesus is not a lucky rabbit's foot. He is a way of life. And so he, he begins to talk. In fact, these are all pictures of, from the nation of Assyria of the army that marched into Israel. And they overtook it. And in fact, we were talking about the book of Joel where they come in like locusts and all of these different things. And here's what they would do. They would come into your city and they would impale you. And they perfected this so that they could hook you through a pole without touching any major organs and you'd die of thirst instead, instead of being impaled and they would skin you alive and write hate messages to the people in the city and then when they took the city they would pile up the heads and say this is what it is and here's the thing that blows my mind when you read the other prophets who are alive at the time of Jonah Jonah gets to say hey God's going to expand the nation and he preaches happy you know happy good news he's the prophet of good news but as soon as the news goes south Jonah gets on a boat and he says, I'm not going to be part of any bad news here. But you know what? The voice of the prophets are the, are, are, the, are the true voice of the Lord. Look at what they say. Amos says this. For Amos has said, Jeroboam shall die by the sword. Israel must go into exile away from this land. Amaziah, the son of Amos, O, o seer, this is what they said to him. O seer, go flee to the land of Judah and eat bread there. Prophesy there, but never again prophesy at Bethel. For this is the king's sanctuary and it is the temple of the kingdom and at one point Amos turns around and says let me tell you what it's going to be like he says this is what the Lord showed me behold a basket of summer fruit and he said Amos what do you see he said I see a basket of fruit and the Lord said to me the end has come upon my people Israel I will never again pass by them the songs of the temple shall become wailings in that day declares the Lord God so many dead bodies they're thrown everywhere silence You can see why people flip through these books. Can I just say something to you? Heaven is real and hell is real. And God does not want you to live for your 401k and your multiple houses and your white picket fence. He wants you to live for him. And we have the greatest answer in this world. And he wants you to share it with the world that's around you. And Jonah was like, I am not sharing it with them. This would be like, there's a woman in the town of Haverhill. Uh, one of the students used to babysit for her. 
her husband died in September 11th, it would be like the Lord coming to her and saying, and I want you to hop on a plane, go to Afghanistan and share my love and hope with the people that were responsible for this. This is what Jonah's running from. It's sobering. It's sobering. Church, if there's ever a time where God needs you and I to hold forth the truth plainly, it's now. It's now. It's when we have this opportunity. I was in my house and I was a couple of nights ago and I was praying. It was in the middle of the night. I'd been sick for several days, obviously, so my sleep schedule was off. I had my face on the ground and I'm like, Lord, I don't care what you want me to do. I just need to know that your presence is with me. I just need to know that I'm in your will and that I'm obeying you. I will say whatever you want me to say. You tell me what to say, I will say it. And in my heart, I heard that verse from Isaiah that says this, all men are like the grass of the field and their faithfulness is like the flowers. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord stands firm forever. In a matter of decades, you and I will no longer be around. You do not have forever to figure this out. And I believe this morning here, there are some of you that God is calling you. You've been running from him. You've been running from his call. You've been running from his call for you to not just be a light and a good person, but to be a witness of the cross, of the love of Jesus, of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. There are people that you walk by and God nudges you and says, share my love with them, share, and your heart beats, and you're like, God, I just, I just can't. I believe there are some of you here this morning that you're living in situations that are sinful and they are not right and you know it. And all that's going to happen is the storm is just going to get worse and the situation is going to become more difficult until you turn your heart back to him. That's what I felt God put on my heart this morning. I'd like for you to stand to your feet here. I know this, is, this isn't a very colorful word, is it? But I believe this is the truth of the Lord for us today. In a moment... Some people are like, oh my goodness, I'm going to reconsider my membership in this church. <laughs> When's the last time you thought about hell and eternity? Hell is real. Heaven is real. Eternity is real. We only get a small window in this life to serve God with everything. And ask the worship team to come forward here. And as I pray, I just simply want to do this. I want to give you a window to bridge that distance. Because here's the, here's the beautiful thing in this story, and we're going to learn this over the next couple of weeks, is that just as you can be in the middle of the worst storm of your life in the bottom of, the, of a ship in the most depressing moment and hour you've ever experienced, headed in a direction so far from God that it's in that moment that God knows how to swallow us up with a circumstance and a whale of a situation that he can recapture us and get our attention. And Jesus said it like this, the, the generation asked for a sign and Jesus said, no sign will be given to this generation. No sign will be, I, I think it would be great if I could bring somebody here in a wheelchair and pray for them and they get healed. I bet you, you think that all kinds of people would all of a sudden be like, oh yes, you know what? I'll give my life to Jesus. Nope. Jesus said of Capernaum and Bethsaida and Chorazin, he said, if the miracles that were done in you were done in Sodom and Gomorrah, they truly would have repented. But he said, this generation will get only the sign of Jonah. What's the sign of Jonah? That a man so far from God, running from him, that God swallows him up and brings him to a place where he thinks that the end is there and gets a hold of his heart and his life. And he surrenders. 
is, God, I'm tired of running. Forgive me. I'm tired of doing it my way. It's your way. I'm tired of trying to take control of my life. Take control of my life. Whatever you want, God. I'll make good on what I promised you. Some of you are in this room and you're so far from God, you made promises to him. And he still wants you to make good on those. And God takes that prophet and turns him around and has that fish let him loose on the ground. And he goes into the city of Nineveh and the wickedest city in the face of the earth turns to the Lord. You would be shocked what God can do from your life if you just surrender back to him. Father, right now in the name of Jesus, all across this room, I know that you spoke to my heart to say these words this way this morning. I know that there are people here this morning who have been running from you. Do you have a plan and a purpose for their life? And Lord, today is the day where you're saying, stop your running. It's time for you to run back to me. Mass with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're here today and you're saying, you know what, Pastor, that's me. You are talking about me. I'm that person that is on the run. I'm so exhausted from being so far from God. If that's you, I just ask you to lift your hand up and put it down real quick. Thank you. Father, right now, in the name of Jesus, I pray for those that just acknowledged this morning. That's me, Lord. God, I'm tired of running. I turn my heart to you this morning. I'd like you to pray this prayer with me. Church, pray this with me. Dear Jesus, I turn back to you this morning. No more running. No more hiding. What you want me to say, I'll say it. Where you want me to go, I'll go. What you want me to do, do it. I will make good on my vows. Forgive me this morning, Jesus. Father, I pray your grace would be amazing to those that have prayed that prayer that needed it and heeded it. Now here's the trick with this, gang. You're going to be in a moment and your heart's going to go boof, boof, boof. And that's when you need to obey it. And I'm telling you right now, it'll happen at the most awkward moment of your life. It'll be at work. It'll be with somebody you'll be like, no way, no way would they even think about it. Think about it. God's going to touch a life through you. God's going to touch a life through you. Father, in the name of Jesus, I've obeyed and said what you want me to say. There are better people that could say it more eloquent than me been obedient to you. I pray that your word would not return void. In Jesus' name, amen. And thank you for journeying that unique and awkward journey with me here this morning. Today, we're going to just take a quick moment here. We have several people that are coming into membership. And uh, I'm going to ask real quick if you could make your way forward here. If you could give them an applause here for them stepping out and stepping up. Pastor Dylan, uh, I have Melissa Spellman, Ellen Wright, Derek and Lindsay Rao, Jennifer, Ornella, Regina, and Julius, Lauren Brown, Kevin and Michelle Destin. I'm going to have you guys kind of spread right across the front here, if you would, Pastor Dylan, help them kind of do it. We're so grateful you're here. Boys, how you doing? I know, this is crazy, huh? All right, how can we go from like... uh, Uh, such an intense message to this. I don't know, but we're going to do it anyway, right? So check it out. Pastor Dylan's going to be handing out these certificates. We're so grateful. The Rows are right here. And we just figured that we we just are grateful for God expanding this church. We we are like about 320 people strong now from, I think it was 125, 150. God's doing great things. Not every, if you're a visitor here, not every message is like this every week, by the way. We usually have a really great time. And, uh, but we are just so grateful you're here. These people 
have gone through a process. We have a class, a four-week class every week that Pastor Dylan teaches at nine o'clock in the back called Next. They've gone through that. We believe that every person in a church should be an active giver to that community. They should be an active server. And these people have gone through a long and grueling process of saying, we believe that God has us here. We believe in this church. We believe in what God's doing. And we are so grateful for you. And so I just don't know. This is more the, this is what happens when you hire a bunch of people under the age of 27. And so we're going to celebrate this, right? And so they've got all kinds of stuff going, but we're going to count this down from 10. And when we go, we're going to just do the biggest balloon drop in the universe. And we're going to have confetti cannons go off. And we are going to just give an applaud to these people for stepping over the line and stepping into all that God has for them. There will be people in eternity because of their participation, what God's doing here. Are you ready for this? Take a deep breath in. Don't you feel like a 10-year-old again all over? Since we're at 10, is my team up there? Don't. Don't let me down on the noise level on this one. Are you ready? Count it down with me. 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Embrace the lovely taste, I taste and see I'm under grace, the place to be It means I'll never need an umbrella 